BerserkerCast, episode number 12, Drawing Straws Review. Hi, this is Doug Jones. I play Cochise on Falling Skies, but right now you are listening to BerserkerCast. Golden Spiral Media presents BerserkerCast a podcast dedicated to falling skies on TNT. Each week we discuss the action and drama that unfolds as Tom Mason, Captain Weaver, the Berserkers, and the rest of the Second Mass fight to win back the planet from the alien overlords. Call in your thoughts about each episode at 304-837-2278 or email feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com. And now, BerserkerCast. Boom! Welcome back to Berserker Cast. I'm Daryl. And I'm Emily. How are you today? I am doing all right. Today is a better day. Well, good. Good. How do you feel about having only one week of Falling Skies remaining this season? I can't even believe it. I was thinking about it on Sunday or whatever and just going, man, how is it already the end of the season? I thought we were getting 13 episodes, but we're only getting 12? Just 12. 12 hours. 12 hours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To 11 weeks, 12 hours. That's very sad. Yeah. It's gone by just so quickly. You know, I, I remember thinking at the beginning of the season, hey, we got two two extra episodes this season. It's it's going to be great. But gosh, it's it's flown by just as quickly as it as it always does. Well, and they're burning off those two extra episodes in the same week, so we're only getting one extra, one extra week. week. I yeah, that's a great point, and actually, we'll have some commentary on the on on some of these extra episodes here in just a moment. But we're talking about season four, episode. What are we looking at? Episode ten. Yes. This week, which aired on August the twenty fourth, two thousand fourteen, entitled "Drawing Straws," as I said in the intro. Right. And this week, the episode was directed by Adam Kane, written by Josh Pate, and we see the last, most likely, of guest star Robert Clotworthy, who <laughs> portrayed Monk. The Monk, yeah. <laughs> or, as I am calling him, Squishmunk. Squishmunk, I love it. I love right. it. Yeah, that that's pretty good. Or uh... I was kind of going for the whole Skidmark thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's not, yeah. It's not perfect, but... He was kind of squished, and he was a monk, so. Well, we had some good feedback. We got some feedback from some new feedbackers. We got some feedback Excellent. from a first-time Golden Spiral Media feedbacker. Whoa. I love I that. I feel honored. We also got feedback from a, a feedbacker that, that would uh, send in pretty regularly to Revolution, and I always gushed over her, so I'm really excited to have her back. Can you can uh, you guess who it is? Oh, yep. I did see in the show notes, so I'm kind of excited for that. <laughs> yeah. However, before we get into things, I just wanted to... Uh, well, Barb wrote in to us this week. I think she also called in, right? She for did. this episode? Yeah, she did. Okay. Yeah. But she wanted to give us a little background on our question last week. Do you remember how we said, you know, if anybody was alive or knew of the time period when JFK said, let's go to the moon and... Mm -hmm. Uh, what was the American public thinking at that time? Right. And, I remember you asking that yep. question. 
Yep. And so she actually gave us a little bit of feedback on that. She said, you asked last week if JFK had to convince the American people to get behind the space program to go to the moon. The answer is a resounding no. Hmm. The Cold War was in full swing and the Soviet Union had put animals in space before us and put a man in space before us and had already said that they were going to the moon. Competition and the strong belief in Camelot made it a time of magic and can do along with the lingering fear of the Soviets. We had to beat them. The Cuban, Cuban, the Cuban missile crisis reinforced that. So if JFK said America was going to the moon, folks were all in, Mm. which I don't feel like we got the same vibe from the second mass. (laughs) Well, (laughs) let's, let's not kid ourselves. Tom is no JFK and they certainly aren't in the same technological position that they were in 1963. Even, he does a pretty good impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> what about my impersonation? I laid out a pretty s- solid one last You're week. You're right, right? Daryl. Yours was fantastic. Thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. I know you were about to say that. I, I probably didn't have to ask for it. You didn't. I was about to rave about your impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> rave, huh? Yeah. Rave, yes. Yeah. Well, this is probably a good time also to, uh, to play that feedback that we got from first time ever GSM feedbacker, and it's from, down. Yeah, from Quentin. Let's listen to what Quentin had to say. Hi, Daryl and Emily. This is Quentin from Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm calling in about Falling Skies. I started watching from season one once I heard your recap of seasons one through three. It sounded like a great show, and since I could hear my favorite podcasters talk about it, I was in. I burned through seasons one and two, and then slowed down to listen to the podcasts on season three on TV Talk and the current season on Golden Spiral Media. I just watched the episode Drawing Straws, which means I am caught up. I promised myself I would leave a voice feedback if I got caught up before the season was over. I've been a Golden Spiral Media listener since day one, but I've never gotten up the nerve to leave feedback. Mostly due to your encouragement, Daryl, on stuff I learned yesterday, I am finally doing it. I'm excited to see how the finale will turn out. At the same time, I am sad that my Falling Skies marathon is about to end, and that I will have to wait another year to see the final season. I guess this is long enough for my first feedback. Quentin, out. Not nearly long enough, Quentin. (laughs) Yeah, that's still amazingly awesome. Yes. It just makes me smile ear to ear when we get feedback from first timers. And particularly like Quentin said, he's been listening since day one. That's like six years of podcasts now. Right. And for him finally to get the courage up to to call in, he said stuff I learned yesterday helped with that. I mean, that. That's awesome. I love it. I love it when people yeah. come come out of the woodwork. They've been lurking for so long, and mm-hmm. and now we know them. They've known us all this time. Now we know Quentin, and that's the, the coolest it's thing. It's so cool. Yeah, and I loved I love just putting voices with people who are listening. You know, because right. it's so unsure of who all is out there. I mean, like I, you know, I come from a feedbacking background. And I totally understand that needing to get up the nerve to call, mm-hmm. but there's there comes to be a certain point when you just can't hold it back anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so Quentin, you know, you better look out because you could be where I am right now. That's and right. We all it, know how that turns that's out. That's the way I started too, Emily. Yeah. I mean, I called yeah. into a podcast. It was Cliff Ravenscraft's Lost Podcast, and oh, then right. everything else was just podcast Downhill. craziness I mean, from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah not sure what yeah, well, what direction yeah. the hill went but we, we went we went there <laughs> <laughs> definitely went there well thank you very much quentin we hope to hear back from you on um your thoughts on the finale 
you know, I think both Mark and Barb streamlined the first three seasons mm-hmm. of Falling Skies before this, so you're definitely not alone in uh, your marathoning. But don't worry, we will probably marathon again before the summer or the winter is up for next summer to welcome in the fifth season. So that's right. You're in good company, man. And Emily and I were just discussing on Twitter earlier this week that she and I, when this podcast wraps next week, will still have a couple of weeks left of our lost podcast, although we don't interact on that one. You phone it in literally every week. Right. <laughs> um, and we, we talk about you, you know, while you're not there. But once that wraps, we won't have any podcast that we're on the, we'll have a, we'll share in common. You're going to be doing some stuff though. Go ahead and share what you're going to be doing this fall for Golden Spiral Media. Yeah, uh, with uh, Shadow, I am doing a Flash podcast called Central City Underground. Super excited for that one. But, you know, I mean, Brian is, I mean, Shadow is awesome. (laughs) We're not revealing our true identities on that show. So it's not actually me. I go by the pseudonym Miss Ice. Is that Miss Ice or Miss Ice Bucket? Miss Ice Bucket. Oh, my gosh. I suppose we have to talk about this. In the Bucket Challenge, and I was so happy to do that. (laughs) Oh, you and Corey. Yeah got me this week but and i passed it on did you like my video by the way i did i liked it a lot your grandma got you that was awesome yeah she did yeah sitting in the in the front yard reading a book and Mm -hmm. she comes up behind me with this nice glass pitcher and just dumps it on my head said grandma yeah she said get out (laughs) of my yard it was good no it was great uh we had a friend a close friend of the family just die of ALS in the last month. So it was, you know, I didn't acknowledge him in the video, but just super good to, f- or felt super good to just support yeah. his Very surviving family cause, members yeah. in that. So yeah. It, yeah, it's definitely a worthy cause. It's, it's just amazing to see what that disease does to the human body. And so I am in full support of it, even if I'm not <laughs> mm-hmm. always in full support of the way we go about getting money raised for it. Right. It's just a great way to raise awareness. So, yeah. That's Good cause. Sure. Well, from that, I'll tell you that I'll be podcasting. About yeah. A person of interest with Doug Jones this fall, and I'll be doing Grace Point with Clint Wickert. He and I were the Fringe podcast, so looking oh, forward to both Oh, that Clint. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We also he's did still, the Almost Human He's still podcast. around, huh? He is still okay. around. That's right. Okay. Good. Yep. <laughs> well, let's get back to Falling Skies. We also oh, have some feedback from Dustbin. She's the one I, I mentioned that I gushed over every time she called yes. into Revolution. I, I love her accent. I can't help it. I love it. And <laughs> she's got kind of an overview of the conflicts that we've seen in Falling Skies. So here she is. I've really been enjoying the last few episodes and this season as a whole. I've struggled a little in the past to completely embrace Falling Skies simply because I love character development and never really felt there was a great deal of it in the show. The show was always focused on conflict with external sources, mainly the endless waves of invading aliens, and not a lot of focus on internal conflict, but at last I really feel like they're moving on with that, and I hope it continues into the next season. Yeah, she's got a great point. I hadn't even really thought of it, though, that that there was kind of a, a, a lack... Um of personal conflict until this this season's had a lot of this episode had a lot of it but i think she's right yeah definitely and this was the episode that really made me see how much character development has been going on Mm -hmm. and i was actually quite astounded when i went back and just started thinking over everything you know just because it was the one short reference to epictetus at mm-hmm. the end of the show, practically, that made me 
my eyes just went wide and I just went, Oh my gosh, I understand everything now. (laughs) And so, I mean, we'll talk, we'll talk about it a lot as we go through everything. But I mean, just my, my rating doubled practically because I, I spent the whole episode going, I hate Tom's attitude. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why, how, like everybody seemed so contradictory in everything they were doing. And it just didn't make any sense to me. And then Epictetus was mentioned and I'm like, okay, (laughs) now we're going somewhere. So the character development through that philosophy was just amazing to me. So yeah, Dustin, you are in good company. I totally agree. I love the character development. I mean, it was one of my favorite parts of Fringe Mm -hmm. and, and Falling Skies. You know, they do it every season where it takes a little bit of time for them to really build up what the actual story is for the season. And then like episode eight or nine hits, you know, right at the end usually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, okay, now I want you to just, just stay here for a while <laughs> and th- let's think about this. So this yeah. is absolutely my favorite part of the season. I like it a lot too. In fact, I would have scored this episode a whole lot lower had it not been for some of those things. I felt like mm-hmm. we got 12 episodes this season instead of the 10 that we've been getting every other season. We'll get 10 again next season. But in spite of those two extra episodes, at this point, I don't really feel like we've gotten two extra episodes worth of content. I feel like, especially the last week and this week, have been a lot of two steps forward and one step back. What I mean by that is last mm-hmm. week's episode, they went on this trek to get this technology that the Volm had stashed away so that they could unearth the Beamer and go to the moon. At the end of the episode, they had failed in that mission, but there was another you know, circumstance that, uh, that came about through the whistle that allowed them to still accomplish the same thing. So the whole middle part of that episode of going on that journey and coming back, you know, didn't really give us a whole lot except for character development. Right. Um, this, this week we had a whole lot of preparing the Beamer to go to the moon, which is kind of where we were at the end of last week. We were still, you know, we, we we were just going to take the Beamer to the moon. That Well, that's still where we're at at the end of this episode. We didn't really get yeah. anywhere except they fiddled with the controls a little bit and figured that part out. Um, they thought Cochise was going to go. He's not. So I feel like we, we, it was, again, two steps forward, one step back. And when I when I look at it just in that in that context, it makes me disappointed in that we got the two extra episodes this season, but we didn't really get a whole lot of extra stuff. But mm-hmm. what we did get was, you know, these these conflicts that we got. But even in this episode, I felt like the conflict with Ben and Hal started and then was resolved by the end of the episode. The conflict with Tom and Anne, because it was different from the it was different from the conflict they had last week. What they what what they were upset yep. about last week was Tom's desire to go to the moon and how crazy that was. <laughs> what they were upset about this week was Tom's insistence that he is the man. And completely different conflict. It started during this episode, resolved during this episode, and so really one step forward, one step back. But through those, we did get character development, and so that's why I still rated it pretty high. We'll get to the episode rating at the end of the episode, but. Yeah, so I like that. That's good. Yeah, because sometimes it seems like when it's just about character development, the episode can go really slow or people don't tend to like it because there's not enough action. And I don't know, there's something about the way Falling Skies does it that I just really enjoy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, good. Well, I'm glad. Well, tell us about the book because I think it would be good for us maybe to set the stage of the ep- of our discussion with some knowledge about the book or did you want to mention that later on the episode discussion no well i'll start with it just i think 
I think the book that they reference is just uh, Epictetus, or I think he calls him Epictetus, but I've heard it pronounced Epictetus. Okay. So it, I don't know if it really matters. It's all Greek to me, except that I speak Greek. It's all Aramaic to me. Just kidding. Nerd. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, basically, Epictetus is the leading philosopher on stoicism from way way back and i believe that the book they mention is his handbook he has discourses and a handbook and the handbook is the pocket size one so they make a reference to oh i can just carry it around in my pocket well it's because it's he actually made it just for that the the handbook is made up of aphorisms which are just small pieces of moral or ethical knowledge that you can pass on in the course of teaching and so it's just a series of these how to live uh, a moral life. And so basically his his aim in this philosophy is to tell people how to live this philosophical life. And it is through the idea that happiness comes not from passion, but from learning how to live virtuously and live in accordance with nature. And he believes that if you can use reason in order to learn how to live in accordance with nature, you are going to be steadily happy and you're not going to have those ups and downs of life. So I think we'll, we'll get into a lot more of it as it comes. But basically what I was seeing is that Tom is kind of living in contradiction to a lot of his aphorisms or a lot of his moral teachings. Like sometimes it seems like he's sticking right to it. For example, one of, one of his, uh, one of Epictetus's pinnacle philosophies is that you have to learn what is in your power to do, which essentially goes, uh, is compounded upon the idea of free will and the choice to do something, you know, the difference between, okay, if, uh, we'll take a, take, take a, a thief, for example, okay. you don't have the power to control what a thief does. A thief will steal your money regardless of whether you want him to or not. It is your choice to decide how to act upon what a thief does. Does okay. that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yep. The difference in that. Mm -hmm. So there there are there are times when it seems like Tom is acting like he he's insistent upon that he needs to go to the moon that it is that he feels like it is the right thing to do. Well, I see that as him saying he, that is what he has the power to control. It is in it is within his power to go to the moon and attempt to accomplish this mission. It is not in his power to control the way other people handle this mission. Right. That sounds right? right. Yes, that's exactly okay. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's been so long since I've I've read any of this, so it's going to come out a little spotty, maybe. But bear with me. Mm -hmm. So, so then, what? The other part of this is Hal's response to sto stoicism, in that the previous episode he punches Ben, mm -hmm. which is his choice to act out of self control, and uh, out of sorry. a lack of self control. Sorry, thank you. Yes. Which he is, is acting out of a lack of self-control. He is not exercising self-control. But Tom, in effect, tells him that ultimately it is not uh, his decision or Ben's decision mm -hmm. for what Maggie's Maggie does. Decision. It is only Maggie's yeah. decision. So when he finally resolves in the end to forgive Ben for what he's doing, he is acting stoically. He is acting with stoicism. He's practicing stoicism by saying... You know, I, I know that this is out of my control, so I am going to choose to forgive you. Mm -hmm. And 
And then, so in the same line of that, Ben and Maggie are not practicing self-control because they are, you know, leaving it up to the spikes to determine how they feel. They're acting out of passion. Mm -hmm. They are not practicing any sort of, they're not acting in accordance with nature. Because the other part of this is then that how do you, how do you learn what is acting in accordance with nature? Well, when you're acting in accordance with nature, you are acting virtuously. Mm-hmm. But when you are acting outside of accordance with nature, you are acting viciously. So you're, you're, and that's going back to the whole thief, uh, parallel. Right. Is that the, th- you, you know that the thief is acting unjustly because he is acting viciously. He is stealing your money. Whereas you choosing to, perhaps forgive what the thief has stolen or to separate yourself from the money that the thief has stolen is acting virtuously because True. you are saying that it does not affect you personally. Right. And you look at what Hal said to Ben in that conversation when Ben tries to blame it on the spikes, he says, we all have our spikes, Ben. Yes. I love that line. I was going to ask you how you felt about that. Well, we all do. We all do. I mean, we could, we could, yeah, you know, we had a pretty big blow up here uh, right before we turned the podcast on where we was having some, some issues with the kids obeying. And, you know, uh-huh. my daughter was just not, she was just not willing to acknowledge that she had any part of, of what was wrong. You know, she was wanting to blame her brother. And, you know, I just kept saying to her over and over again, you have to own your own behavior. And that's, yep. that's what we're seeing here is that we all have our own, we all have our spikes. So we all have those things that we could blame our behavior on. Now, that's not to say those things aren't realities in our lives, but the stoicism, if I'm understanding you right, because you have a much better understanding of it than I do, the understand, the, uh, the stoicism is, is almost a denial of those things, a denial of self, a denial of, of pain. You know, he's stoic. He's, he's, he's hard. He's like a rock. You know, he's, he's, he's ignoring those things and, and maintaining to a, you know, a higher calling, if you will. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's being so self-aware that you aren't allowing yourself to act out of self-control or mm-hmm. out of control or whatever. So yeah, I would say that's definitely it. It's, it's being like, you know, I, I understand that I could react passionately here, but it is my choice mm-hmm. to keep myself under control. The thing that I, I no, and I love fair. all of this. I love Falling Skies more for, for putting all this in here. This is the second second time this season that we've had clear, increased appreciation for what they're doing on screen as a result of a literary analysis that was mentioned on screen or or shown on screen. But I still think that most of the liter the 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 viewing audience aren't aren't aware of of literature to that degree. Only people like you, I mean, severe book nerds like you, and I mean (laughs) it in the highest compliment. Well, thank you. Without you, I would have been lost on the. I mean, I I understood that she gave him the book, and there was probably some significance there, but I wasn't going to go and look that stuff up. So I love that they do they do this, but I do wish that maybe there was a little bit more um, even even a couple of lines about. Him telling her, maybe she wasn't, maybe she pretends like she doesn't know about, what was his name? Epictetus? Epictetus. Epictetus. Um, <laughs> Epictetus. Oh, Epictetus. I like Epictetus better. That's just better in every way. You know, if, if he would have just said, yeah, Epictetus was the one who taught about, you know, stoicism and, and blah, blah, blah. Just well, a couple of little lines, maybe. He did say that, actually. Oh, did he? He, oh. he did say. <laughs> I feel so dumb now. He said, he said the stoic. So okay. I don't know if it's technically the same thing but uh-huh. you know and i i don't feel like a lot of these were blatantly obvious but mm-hmm. i mean 
as soon, I mean, as soon as the episode ended and I'm going, I've got to rewatch this episode. And it was just like scene after scene. It was just these little aphorisms Mm -hmm. that are just showing us if you act out of accordance with nature, this happens. And if you act in accordance with nature, this happens. You know, because Hal chose in the end to act in accordance with nature and act in self-control and say, okay, I understand that I have no control over the way Ben feels or the way Maggie feels, Mm -hmm. and I have to just give that up. He is... He's leaving his relationship with his brother at in a good spot. Right. And and that is ultimately what Epictetus wants out of or he what he, what he wanted all of his students to get out of life, you know, is just to live this philosophical life where you are not reliant on passion in order to find happiness. Right. So, I guess the last thing before we move on to an actual episode discussion is just Matt then, because I felt like Matt's was a little bit more obvious Mm -hmm. in this, in this way. So maybe, I don't know. So stoicism is like inadvertently practiced by the military. You know, they, they kind of have to give up that piece of themselves because they answer to someone higher. They always answer to someone higher up. And so they have to relinquish that own control over their own life, you know, at least. So, they, they don't really have a choice in the matter. So I feel like a lot of what was going on at that reconditioning camp was kind of preparing him for where he is now. And I feel like I understand him a lot better coming up to this point as he's trying to fight off what ultimately ends up being this inability to show or express emotion anymore. And so at the end there, when his dad is like, you know, it's okay, son, to show how you feel every once in a while. And he's saying... No, it's not. You have to play it tough. You know, he's being the stoic. He's saying, I can't let myself feel anything because I understand that you are about to go into space. And if I lose you, that is going to hurt. Mm -hmm. And so by separating himself from that, he becomes the stoic. And yet at the very last minute, he gives his dad a big bear hug and shows, you know, and so, you know, there's a lot of contradictory sayings in this, but, you know, that was kind of the ridiculousness of Epictetus at the time was that, you know, one of his, one of his most famous and blaringly, uh, I don't know how to say, uh, worrisome comments was that he, he said that parents should whisper into their child's ears every night, tomorrow you may die. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. Because he, he, he was saying, like, if you are able to relinquish the control or relinquish the idea that you have some sort of control over your child's life, you won't become sad when they do eventually die. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like you you have to be able to give up that control and acknowledge that you don't have control whether your wife or your child lives or dies. Wow. So, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that I mean, was yeah, a really, really true, long but tirade. I think that's, yeah, that's really, okay. That's, I didn't so, that. that's basic. That I was trying to give us a little overarching yeah. picture here. So, I'm sorry if that went on way too long. But I think yeah, it sets so, the stage. I think it helps us understand what, what we're dealing with because we're going to get into all these, these we're going to rehash all the stuff that you just went through as we, as we talk about these, these uh, scenes and, and character moments uh, bit by bit. But it, I think it's important um, what you just laid out was kind of a, a framework for this episode. You know, everything was kind of put within that framework of, of looking at stoicism from different ways. Okay, good. So, uh, yeah, good job. All right, how about you talk for a little while then? <clears throat> All right, let's take the uh, Team Second Mass. Because we, we did get Lexi and Team Second Mass kind of salted in together. I'd really like to just keep the Lexi conversation separate because it was so, sure. so good. So 
Matt's teenage rebellion phase. You talked about the stoicism that he was he was demonstrating and and how it finally kind of broke there at the very end of the episode. But I still felt like it was random, even though we can look at it through the lens of Epictetus. I still think that, um, and I'm just going to say that every time. Epictetus, come on, come on, you can't (laughs) beat that. I'm not going to expect anything different. (laughs) All right. Even if you look at it through the lens of of Epictetus, I think that it still kind of came out of nowhere. I, I mean, not nowhere. We had we had seen some behavior earlier in this season, but it, it seemed a bit random, I guess is maybe the better word. What about you? Did you think so too? I thought it was random, but I also felt like it it was it fit really well then. And in in my opinion, I'm seeing it as that it is erratic and that the the passion involved in what it takes to be part of the second mass family kind of drives people to both ends of the spectrum and that you do have to kind of relinquish control over everything because <laughs> you don't really have control over the way things are going down uh, but, but at the same time you feel very passionate about what you do mm-hmm. and so matt is probably at the most critical stage here being in his early teenage years right. and you know, just like, I loved the line he said when, um, you know, Tom is, uh, chastising him for pulling at the controls and, and Matt says, why do you have to get so mad all the time? Right. You know, I thought that was just perfect because it's once again demonstrating that while, even though Tom uh, considers Epictetus one of his most or one of his favorite works, he still doesn't really put it all into practice. And, and yet at the same time, he still tries to give instruction to Hal in one way, saying, you need to be, you need to be stoic about this. You need to relinquish control. And yet at the same time, he tells Matt, you need to show emotion a little bit. So he doesn't, I mean, Matt isn't getting a, a very ma- uh, mainstream, very uh, consistent <laughs> life lesson from his father. So I don't know. I just, just in, in, on that side of it, you know, conflicting philosophies being shoved into his head. I can see why he's being so erratic, but I don't think that the early stages of it were, were written very well. Like, I think we go back to the episode where he was, he wanted to shoot those brothers for taking his dad hostage. You know, it's, it's still, it feels really erratic to me. And I'm not sure whether it's the writing or if they're, if they were actually trying to do this. Yeah, I I did like that it was this you know teenage rebellion. I did I did I just not that I didn't think it was out of line at all because that, that's very appropriate. I just thought it was a bit random, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. It was interesting that too, though. Right after that, of course, you know, and that's the way it had to be. It was a little bit predictable, really. It was a bit too predictable. In fact, Mark wrote in and and he thought this was a, a little bit too predictable that you know Tom would tell Matt, "Hey, get away! Stop! Stop messing with right. stuff!" You know. And then, you know, sure enough, he would be the one that would make a discovery. What I, I think what I, the, the really interesting thing, and I was wondering why this hasn't been happening more, Mm -hmm. but the, the transmission they got in a different language that Anthony was ultimately able to decipher. Yeah. Well, what did you think about that? I mean, if that's true, you know, there were things like retreat, hide, survive, and that's incredibly bleak. It was, it reminded me of the lost transmission, right? It was on a loop and you hear it and it's just like sucks all the wind out of your sails. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, I I think we were kind of expecting it just because of how dominating the Eshveni have been this season. And I liked it because it, it forced Tom to win these people over yet again. 
you know, this is something that we talk about at work a lot too with one of our clients is just, we, we seem to have to go in every week and resell the project, even though it's this huge government funded project. We just have to convince them all every single time that this is a project worth doing because people get bogged down by the little things by, you know, you have to have your data in at, by this certain time. And if you have any changes, we have to know by this certain time. And people get so hung up on the details and the realization that they are such a small component in the large machine that they just lose sight of what the big picture really is. And, you know, he had to focus in again, again and say, you know what, guys, I, I can't speak for you all, you know, once again, practicing stoicism, mm -hmm. but my choice <laughs> is to go to the moon because that is something I can control and I need to be part of something that will ultimately bring about the end of this war. Right. Yeah. As ridiculous as going to the moon is. Right. It really is the better option. <laughs> <laughs> better. You mean better than hiding or better yeah, than doing nothing? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's what Mark had to say about the message. And if that message that they intercepted, the Spanish-speaking message, if it is true and not a ploy put out by the Esfeni, that must be one scary weapon that they're using for, for what the message says, that all is lost, go into hiding, there's no way to win. I'm really looking forward. I hope that we get some glimpse of that in the season finale. Yeah, so what do you think the weapon could be? Is it, is it just a... Uh... I was going to say the evolution can't centers. What what were they doing to them? Um, uh, genetic alterations? Yes. Yeah. Biological alterations? Geneticide, I think, is what Matt called it. Gen oh, yeah. Ben called it. Genocide, uh, yeah. Genes geneticide, yeah. Thank you, genocide. <laughs> it, st it still worked, too. That's yeah. why I giggled. <laughs> Sorry, I, I make up words from time to time. I don't know if you've noticed that about me. Tardis. Fictitional. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I haven't noticed. Uh, it's a thing. I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, you can only imagine that they're going to use the humans they've modified against them. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I there's just so... With, with Lexi's return in this episode, I mean, there's just so many possibilities for next yeah. week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no nothing else to say about that. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, and that, that's it. It's like yes, there yeah. is, and yeah. or there are, and there uh, are. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> it's gonna be epic, Titus. Tardis. Say it right. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna make me start saying it wrong. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, moving on then. So we have. Ben and Maggie each confronting Hal separately. And we already talked about, you know, everybody having their own version of spikes. Mm -hmm. Did Ben apologize in, in his little spiel? Yeah. He said that he, he would never intentionally sorry. hurt Hal. That's right. Yeah. That's but he right. also blamed it on the spikes. Right. Yeah, and I, <laughs> you know, in, in his case, the spikes are a very real, literal, physical thing. It's not like yes. you have this sin that so easily besets you you have this physical thing that is trying to take over your body that's what he said last week and it is a constant fight and yes you could get spiritual on that and say well yep. that's like the carnal side of us of course you know <laughs> but you know you do have to kind of give him a little bit of an extra pass on this because it is a you know alien something that has been put into his body and, and it's it's a battle that that only he and maggie and probably denny can understand so I, I do give him a little bit of a pass on that but uh, but you, i don't think you can completely give him a, a walk either if, if you're in house position yeah and i think that's 
that's really why I liked his comment to Maggie about everyone having their own version of spikes. Yeah. Because, I mean, on the one hand, you go, I can see the spikes in their bodies. They're, they're genetically altered. But then so many people blame their problems on their genetics. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I don't work out because my genetics wouldn't make a difference anyway. Or, you know, or even to drinking, you know, going, it's in my blood. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I can't, I, I, addiction is in my personality. And, you know, for me, I stay away from a lot of those things because addiction does run in my family. And so it's just like, knowing what your weakness is and trying to stay away from it. But how do you stay away from something that is physically implanted right. in you? Right. Exactly. <laughs> but, and, but then, but then that also brings us back to that scene when uh, Ben and Maggie are kissing in the ship and Maggie says, I probably shouldn't be here. And I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly, that's exactly where right, the yes. self control comes into place. Right. You know, you, maybe we can't stay away from alcohol all the time, or maybe we can't stay away from binge eating, but you can physically stay away from one another. <laughs> right. The spikes weren't glowing at that point. They you weren't know? being drawn together by some <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> electromagnetic force. <laughs> but yeah. man, I just, I just love that part of it because, you know, finally something real has manifested, some, something that would be akin to an addiction that somebody blames their problem on or something. And I love that it's taking this physical form in that, mm-hmm. in that relationship. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, Sorry, I'm I do too. Nerdy right now. Yeah, <laughs> right now, I, I'm pretty sure it's just starting. <laughs> that, uh, you've been laying out the nerd since we hit the record button. Oh, great! Hey, speaking of nerds, let's segue into our conversation about Matt. Let's let Dustin kick this part of the conversation off. I would have liked it if they actually had drawn straws. It always seems a lot more excited and tense when they do that, don't you think? I did like how Matt wanted to put his name in a hat. It felt like the underage wizard was being forbidden to put his name in the goblet of fire. Then there was a flight of the navigator moment when Matt found the controls of the ship. Very cool. But then I got a little disappointed. The way they worked out how to pilot the ship was very like how Starbuck learned to pilot the Cylon Raider in Battlestar. Even down to the yaw pitch and roll comments. I think the idea is very cool as long as you haven't seen it before. There's your nerd cred right there. She just went Battlestar Galactica. Uh, what was that Twilight she did there for a minute? And uh, <laughs> Dustin, just so you know, I gave him the stare of death for that. And I did it just so I could get the stare of death. I know it was Harry Potter. And Flight of the Navigator all, all kind of rolled into one. So that's some pretty epic feedback we got there. I thought it was a good way to kick off this conversation about Matt, about the things that he discovered and the, the things yeah. that came out uh, came around about it. Do you think that Tom was in the, would you have done what Tom did where he said, yeah, you're 13, man. You're not going to the moon. I love that he said, you don't have your learner's permit. You can't pilot an alien spacecraft. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, I don't know. As a parent, I don't know if I could have said that. I, I probably would have found some excuse, but I, I, I mean, I expected it out of Tom. Is that Mm -hmm. enough? (laughs) Sure. Hey, as a parent, there's no way I'm letting my 13-year-old go out into outer space unless I'm with him. You know, there's just no chance. None. I don't think I'm going to have to be making that judgment call anytime soon. But you never know. Aliens could invade our planet tomorrow and we'll be in the same position as the second mass is. Right. You know, and uh, before the invasion, you wouldn't have let your son hold a 
hold a rifle or hold a gun of any sort, but, you know, things, times change, but I think it's probably easier for him to say no when there are a host of other available candidates for the mm-hmm. job. Well, and that, that brings in Despin's comment about the drawing straws. I mean, they didn't draw straws, yeah. literally. They they put names in a hat. Um, do you think Which is that so was... much easier to tamper with. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Do you, but do you think that's a, that was a good, the best method to choose or or to use? Not at all. To, to, yeah, what, Not how, what at would all. have been better? I don't know. I mean, drawing straws, actual straws, might have been better because anybody could have held them. But mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so much potential for tampering and for manipulating the outcome of that. I mean, with with their limited resources, it seems unlikely, but unlikely to have an, a, a better effect in any other form. It just, I mean, from the very beginning, you're like, come on, you, I would have been surprised if Tom hadn't tampered with that drawing. Yeah. But also uh, because the episode was called Drawing Straws and because Matt said, let's draw straws, yeah. I was kind of expecting them to draw straws. Yeah, I was too. I, w- I wasn't expecting name in a hat type of thing, but it did per- give us the ability <laughs> to have some, some, some increased drama because of the, the ability for it to be tampered with. Right. We got the Pope Weaver scene when we got the, and Tom scene after she discovers he tampered with it. But, but even still, I just don't like it. I, I think that, you know, Anthony, was it yeah. Anthony or, or Dingon that said that he had 13 hours of flight time, which is yeah. nothing, but Ding-gon. it's something, you know, I know I was like, he was like, I have 13, registered hours in the air and i'm like yeah wow 13 <laughs> yeah yeah i drove around yeah, the block one more. time i mean that's really what he's saying but hey it's, <laughs> yeah, it's better exactly. than, than tom or ann or i don't know about weaver i don't know what experience he had you know but i you i know. just don't think that they should have left it open to chance like that but in the end it may not even matter because of the way the episode ended yeah, and we will get to that because that was the Twitter <laughs> right. question of the week. But that, I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, this is like now with the way things are going, does it even matter? But, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, once again, setting us right back to where we started, you know, going back to the whole, uh, you know, what is what is in with within one's power to control. And again, right. you know, Tom is kind of that politician in that way where he has to control every little thing about this mission. But also in that um i don't know he said he wants to lead by example he can't expect anyone else to do it if if he isn't willing to do it but i i mean after all this time you know after them breaking out of the ghetto and him insisting that it had to be him that leads all of these skitters away nobody is doubting in the slightest that he isn't willing to do these things right. so i don't i don't find that a valid excuse anymore Right. He has absolutely nothing left to prove. He doesn't prove, he's proven himself already. Yes. So because of that, and that, and this is really what was leading to my, uh, my low score for, okay, for this episode was just because I'm going, no, this doesn't make any sense. You, you've already used this excuse. You already have told us that you need to be willing to do this. But I mean, just going back over everything he's already done before. So, but you know, then I come back to it looking through the eyes of Epictetus and seeing that, you know, as a politician, <laughs> politicians in Western civilization do not practice stoicism at all. You know, there was a, I can't remember which rally it was, but Bill Clinton got up on stage and introduced Obama and said, you can't see it on the outside, but on the inside, he's blazing or he's on fire for America. And 
you know, and it's kind of giving us this impression that even though we can't see that Obama is passionate about America, he he actually is on the inside. You just have to dig a little bit deeper, you know. Mm-hmm. So in effect, Bill Clinton is trying to say in a way that he is a little bit stoic on the outside, but that doesn't mean that he's not serious about living the life that he needs in order to affect a certain change on the world or in order to lead this country. Because, you know, you kind of want your leaders to look like they have it all in control. When your leaders start freaking out, everybody starts freaking out, and that's not right. a good thing. So, right. so, you know, he's not being that stoic leader. He's being a leader who leads by passion, and I think... It really just depends on the the type of situation you're in, which is more effective. But really, stoicism was developed for these really hard times and in times when you needed someone to be solid in the face of adversity. Right. And, and, and so in in that way, it's just it's just so ironic. <laughs> I I just yeah, I just find it very ironic that it it's just represented in this way in Tom. So Yeah, you know. and there's a difference that, that we get to see because of the inside conversations that we're privy to being the you know the the third person perspective that we get as a viewer. There's a difference here between being stoic and being filled with hubris as Anne puts it or or um being stubborn as you might you might also put it. I think both of those are applicable in this situation. It's not that Tom is being stoic for the sake of of you know, unification or fill in the blank. He's just being prideful, thinking that he's the best man for every job that requires a hard decision or or hard course of action. And I love it that Anne calls him out and says, this is the same type of hubris that leads to utter failure, essentially is what she says. And, and uh, yeah, you know, these two people, I, I love what they've done with their relationship over the last two weeks. And now that they are officially married, we see a new dynamic within them and there should be, you know, yes. it's one thing where you say, well, you're my girlfriend, you know, we have this love for each other and we share a, a, a child together, but you know, there's a line beyond no, that. Now there's not. Now there is, we made this commitment to each other. We are in this together. We make these decisions together. And I love that they're, they're bringing that in there. And Anne was wonderful. She is his yin or yin to his yang, or however you want to term yeah. that. They, <laughs> they do, bring such different personalities and perspectives and they balance each other out and the respect that they show each other. He was willing to, after she said her piece last week and this week to look at her and say, you know what? You're right. And I love it. And I think one thing we don't get a a whole lot in, in television is that dialogue between them. You know, we don't often get, the the main character or the the man conceding in that way or we don't get that conversation that really helps to bring out that dynamic and see how he is changing in that relationship most of the time it seems like it's just expected you to know that they're they're growing together in marriage but they're really doing you know i, I think Anne even said it at this in this episode what did she say we're we're partners in this mm-hmm. uh we're in this together I can't, I just lost it, but you know, yeah, that's what she said. And he said in response to that, I know that you're not just talking about them out there, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I I like that because we don't get it a lot and it makes you, and I think that's probably what Dustin was looking for, you Mm -hmm. know, in, in that character development is you don't want to just assume or uh, imply that a relationship is developing. They're actually showing how these two people are growing together. And Mm -hmm. I just really, like that. Yeah, I do too. 
but that also brings us to the 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 quote that he when Anne hands him the book and he says, uh, "Let's see, man should be prepared to be sufficient unto himself," and I emphasize prepared because the question Anne comes back with is, "Do you think a man should be sufficient unto himself?" and and this is kind of going back to the aphorism that I had said earlier about um, you should whisper into your child's ear every night. You you could die tomorrow. And okay, I just wanted to read this. I had to look it up. Okay. But so this is aphorism 14 from the Enchiridion. If you wish your children and your wife and your friends to live forever, you are stupid. For you wish to be in control of things which you cannot. You wish for things that belong to others to be your own. So likewise, if you wish your servant to be without fault, you are a fool. But basically, like he 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 goes on to say, you need to when when you kiss your wife and child goodnight, you need to acknowledge that they are human, so that when they die, you aren't you aren't hurt inside because your wife and child died, but because a human died, so that you can easily get over their death. You know, he's telling you to completely separate yourself from these people, so that the passion you feel for them in their death does not reflect in the way that you go about your daily life. Yeah. And so just by saying, you know, if you, if you expect them to live forever, you're stupid. <laughs> and so he, on the one hand is telling us, or, you know, you need, you, you need to only do what is it, what it is in your power to do. But at the same time, he is standing up for his son who was selected to go on this mission and saying, I have control in order, you know, I'm not letting Ben go up there alone. You know, mm-hmm. he's not kissing his son goodnight and saying, you are just a human. And when you die, it, it essentially means nothing to me. He's being very impassioned about the way he goes about this. So I don't know, just another spot of irony there. Yeah. But okay, this brings me to a question okay. and I think I might be getting ahead of us in the notes, but okay. Do you think that he always intended to, uh, to slip his name in second? regardless of whether one of his sons was chosen first. I do. I, I, I do. I, obviously, if one of his sons was chosen, the answer is yes, we got that. But I think yes. even still, I think even after Anne gave him that, that talk, I think he thought he could slide one in. I mean, I hit, he had it in his palm the whole time. Not that he could have just been a, you know in reserve, but no, I think he would have. What do you think? That's pretty much where I came to at the end because... The other side of that is, what if one of his sons was chosen second? <laughs> you know, he, yeah. he he either wasn't going to let one of them go up alone, or he wasn't going to risk one of them going up without him. Right. That's a great point. That that that, that, that solidifies it, really. What if one of them okay. had been chosen second? Yeah. 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 I, there's no question in my mind now that you make that point. Okay. Which is kind of a shame because I really wanted to see what would happen if he just let it go. Mm-hmm. But of course, we're, this is Tom we're talking about yeah. drunk on power. Yeah. Well, and that's what Pope says. That's a great segue into Pope. Actually, we we can't segue into Pope yet. We need to, we need to listen to what Mark and Dustbin and Barb had to say. A lot of conversation okay. about our, our and uh, opinions about these the dynamic between Tom and Anne. So let's listen to Mark first. I actually don't care for the route Tom's character is taking. He's being very selfish, and it just seems like everybody else around him is picking up on this stuff. I really like the way Anne stood up to him. I like the way Pope was talking to Weaver about him. And I really like the line that Anne gave him where she told Tom that 
he should lead, but with the consent of those he's leading. And he's not doing that. He's taking everything upon himself, even though there's lots of capable bodies around, he thinks that he has to do it all. Now, even though I understand where he's coming from, I just don't like the way it's going. I think I liked the second mass when they were a unit working together. And I don't find there as much a unit anymore as Tom trying to do everything. And I really hope for next season that that's remedied. Yeah, what do you think that shift has has been made? Is it because they're more desperate now? Their numbers have been decimated or, or is there something else at play here? It There does seem to be a bigger desperation, but... I don't know. I mean, it seems like they were able to move Carnage last week with very few numbers. I mean, mm-hmm. what they told us, 10 people had survived or something, and and yet there was a lot going on. So, I don't know. All right. Well, let's let Dustbin see what, uh, let's hear what Dustbin had to say about the matter. On to the newlywed Mr. and Mrs. Mason. More of the inner conflict. I've loved the tension that's been going on between them in the last few weeks. It feels real. I do think Tom should be taking her to the moon. Seriously, could anyone ever top a honeymoon to the actual moon? Somebody should spray paint just married in shaving cream on the back of the beamer and tie a few tin cans to the wings. That's a fantastic idea, isn't it? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe that's maybe that'll happen next week. Who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe it'll be a little family outing to the moon. I mean, like, why stop at two? <laughs> right, why just why two? Not, why not just take the whole family? The whole Mason clan. We choose to go to the moon, not because it's easy, <laughs> but because it's hard. There, there you go. You thought, oh, you thought it was so fantastic. I thought I'd give it to you again. I'm so glad I got to relive yeah. that. Well, just made my night. <laughs> if, that, if that made your night, then what Barb has to say will be like the cherry on top. And then we had Mopey Tom telling Anne that he was the only one who could save them all, sacrifice included, and let him off the hook rather easily with a, you owe me a honeymoon. She knows him well, but she has also been a lot tougher this season, especially as she fought to find Lexi. She just married her man, and I expected to see more of a fight to keep him earthbound. So I I love this. We got three really diverse hmm. opinions here mark was kind of upset with tom because of his selfish nature or selfish actions uh dustbin was uh kind of hoping that they would go off on their honeymoon together and, and had a more positive spin on it and then Aunt barb comes in and she's kind of a little bit disappointed with Anne letting uh, tom off the hook and feels like Anne should have been harder because she's been harder this season and i think that's a good sign of, of good writing because there's so many different ways we can attach ourselves to what's going on you know, that's, I like when you explain it that way, or kind of sum it all up, it's kind of cool to see that Anne is allowing Tom to be who he is. Like, she knows she can't change his mind mm-hmm. about this kind of thing, but she can put it into perspective for him, you know, and say, I like that one line she said to him, you know, it's not that you want to do this it's that you're trying to make decisions apart from everyone and that's what makes us so that that's what makes us work so well together is when you bring us all into the fold and Mm -hmm. the more he separates himself from that the less of a trustworthy person he becomes that's right you know i i mean especially in light of pope's action to supposedly take out tom's and weaver's names he did show the slips of paper to weaver right so it was validated that he was doing that altruistically. I don't know that he did. I th- he didn't. I think he was being truthful though when he revealed okay. that. But I don't know that he 
saw them, that, that Weaver saw them. Okay. I couldn't remember. I was going to go back and, and try to watch that scene again. I couldn't remember if he actually showed him. But mm-hmm. if if he was telling the truth and he did take Tom's name out, he knows that Tom cheated in this game. Right. And so it depends on then whether he was telling the truth about wanting to go up himself, that he really has nothing left here. You mean Pope? And Pope. Yeah. So, in, I mean, in terms of saying whether he would trust Tom. So if he was telling the truth... <laughs> He doesn't trust, trust Tom, but if he wasn't telling the truth, then he really has no idea. Does that make sense? Kind of. I think maybe it doesn't matter. I think Pope was telling the truth, though. I think he's a. Okay. I think he's in a desperate situation. He's he lost his girl. You know that was yeah. kind of the one highlight he'd had in a long time. Remember when we first met Pope? You know, talk about character arc. Pope's had a fantastic oh, one. Oh man. Yeah. But when we first met him, you know, Maggie was like his slave, basically. And um, <laughs> he's come so far that now a woman actually kind of wanted to be around him. And she ditched him and he's got nobody else. The other people, his only response is ever sarcasm and criticism. And so I, th- I think he's in a very lonely place right now. I, th- I think he was being as honest as we've seen Pope in a long time. I like that. I can agree with that completely. So then I would say that his faith in Tom has gone down a lot, even if he does, on some level, understand why Tom cheated. It still doesn't hide the fact that he did cheat. Well, this yeah? conversation with Weaver took place before Tom pulled his name out. Right. So, who's so, to say so that- what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm meaning is that at, by the time Tom is pulling out names, Pope knows that his name wasn't in there. No, who's to say that, that Weaver didn't put the names back in there after he busted Pope on pulling them out? Okay. I guess I assumed that once they once Pope had taken them out, he just left them out. And I assumed the opposite of that, that they, that they did indeed put them okay. back in. Well, then that explains where our brains are at. Yeah, that's why I wasn't <laughs> but quite the, But it doesn't thing. matter. I, I guess mostly the point I was trying to make was that it it's less likely Pope will trust Tom moving forward here because of what Tom did to um, affect his chances of going up to the moon. Mm-hmm. But I suppose it doesn't even matter to Pope anyway. He would have expected it of him anyway. <laughs> yeah. Although I think everybody's going, uh, really? That's awfully yeah. coincidental. You know, two, two Masons. people from the same family. Yeah. 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 <sighs> A little bit suspicious. Saw that coming. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's hear what Mark had to say about Pope. I really like the little revelation we got out of Pope there where right after he and Weaver fought and we find out that Pope actually took out Tom and Weaver's names so that he would stack the draw more in his favor because he thinks he should go, that he really wants to be a martyr because right now he doesn't think if he left anybody would miss him and he doesn't want that. He wants to leave some sort of legacy behind so he wanted to go. Now, I was disappointed that once Tom fixed the vote and he pulled his name, that Pope didn't step forward or anything. So it almost seems like that whole little scene that we saw between him and Weaver was wasted. There was no reason for it because Pope didn't step up at the end. So I was a little disappointed in that because I really liked the direction the Pope was taking. Yes, it sounds like Mark had the same thought you did, that once Pope took the name out that it didn't get put back in. But I think it did get put back in. Otherwise, as you both pointed out, it doesn't make sense. Right, except that what is he going to do? Say, you cheated! Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he did ask. I mean, the the thing that really had made me think that was that at the end, P- 
Hope asks to see the slip of paper that Tom had pulled out because he, I, I assume that he thought at that time that Tom was just reading off his name from whatever slip he took out, you know, if it was right. anybody's right. name. It said Anthony on it, and he says, oh, yeah. it's Tom. Right. 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 And and it actually did say Tom, which is what made me think that Pope was going, except I pulled out your name, so how did that get in there? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Anyway, we yeah. don't have to beat that horse anymore. All right. Well, let's uh, let's hear what Barb had to say about the whole Pope and Weaver confrontation. Pope confessed to Weaver that the Masons know exactly what they are doing, and he's a loser. Therefore, he should die. I like fighting Pope better than Mopey Pope, although I really liked that he tried to pull their names out of the drawing straws. It was a fairly selfless move on his part for all the good it did. Mopey Pope. We did have a Mopey Pope. We had a lot of Mopies in this. You know, she's she's kind of touched on that. Um I liked it though. I did like it because yeah. it did. She kind of, for a, once in a blue moon, he'll do this, and and he did it here where he kind of laid himself bare and said, "All right, I got nothing to lose here." So I, I liked it. Yeah. No, I did too. I liked yeah. that. Yeah. Although you know what he said about Weaver that set Weaver off. You know, basically talking about how Weaver would know about the Ishvini. I don't know how he worded it, but it was an insult about Genie is what what set Weaver off and. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. That, well, that was pretty which low was ball. totally expected from i know pope, it's just but... so low ball i mean I know, it's not I shocking know. we're talking about pope here but i mean it was just like dude yeah come on <laughs> don't go there don't go there <laughs> <laughs> yeah weaver oh. had every right to bash his face in for saying that even if weaver was mistaken about what his intentions were with the names <laughs> There, I have, I, I've always felt it really awkward for Pope to say those, those comments that he says a lot. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of times I just kind of just cringe and look away. But this episode kind of changed for me for some reason. Like, especially at the beginning there when he was being the voice of reason against Tom and Anne tells him to shut up. Right. (laughs) You know, I, I really, liked that you know at in that at that point because tom was going so far above and beyond his call of leadership his you know his political status there it's just so clear that we always need someone like that in the crowd we always need someone to kind of bring us back down to earth and say you are being ridiculous <laughs> and so i Somebody always needs to be able to incite something in us. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a good point. And to it, make us and realize it, you don't want everyone just to kind of go along with, "Hey, let's all do what Tom wants to do," because um, that's dangerous as well. There needs to be yeah. some sort of check and in, in, in there to bring some balance. Yeah, even if it is coming from the voice of sarcasm. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get back to the love triangle, shall we? The love triangle. Yeah. It got brought up last week, you know, Mag, Maggie and Hal and, and Ben. We've already talked about this a little bit. Um, this was another part where I thought was completely predictable where um, Maggie and, and, and Ben are smooching. And it's like, oh, she said I should walk him. away and she yeah. didn't. Oh, yeah. So Hal's going to walk in. Yeah. I'm glad this time that he said something and didn't yeah. just kind of silently skulk away. Yeah. But he was being pretty passive aggressive. <laughs> I was coming to accept your apology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stick the dagger in him, yeah. Make him feel worse. So what I really thought was interesting was 
in previous scene or in the previous kissing scene between them, mm-hmm. I was convinced that Matt was drawing Maggie in, you know, that it was that his feelings were causing her to feel something. Mm-hmm. But this time, and this could just be an accident, her spikes lit up first and then his did. Mm-hmm. Or at least they made a specific, uh, I went back and checked. They made a, they made a specific point of showing us Maggie's spikes lighting up first and then Ben's. Right. Mm. So either the tides are turning or Maggie is allowing herself to feel something for Ben. Well, which I think is pretty clear anyway because she went back and told him I'm going to miss you. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I mean even so, there's there's a it seems to be more than the spikes now. Yeah, yeah, it's such a good point. I didn't pick up on the fact that her spikes came on first. Hmm. Okay. So I don't know. I mean, like I said, it could have just been an accident or maybe they weren't even thinking about the order of things. But right. because I had thought I was so convinced last week that like um, Ben was forcing his feelings onto her, projecting right. that it wasn't really in her power to do anything about it because her spikes were just reacting to the ones in him. But here... It seems like it was more of a mutual thing right. than just him affecting that change. No, it definitely did. It sure did. Now, what about the final scene between the two brothers there when Hal says, you know what, man? Maggie's going to make up her own mind. She's going to pick whichever one of us she wants. By the end of this whole thing, you never know. She may choose Matt. Right. What, I love uh, that. What do you take away from that scene? Anything? It kind of made me, uh, it reminded me of Little Women, actually. In the way that they fight over Lori, the girls fight over Lori as young kids. And, you know, at first he likes Joe and then I can't remember the oldest girl's name, but then it's an, it ultimately ends up being the youngest daughter who ends up marrying him, which is funny to me. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I thought it was a great line and it was totally Hal deciding that he has to give up control over this and that his brother is more important than whatever he can't control, I right. guess. Bros before, never mind. No, that's not right. <laughs> um, well, in this case, <laughs> bros before cougars, apparently. <laughs> there you go. That's more uh, more appropriate, maybe. You know what I think? <laughs> I think Barb's right. Look, we got a little thing here, right? Maggie and Ben. Oh, I'm going to miss you, Benny. Hey, man, <laughs> it's all right. I'm going to still love you. She's going to choose who she's going to choose. That means Ben has got the target on his back. He's going to die next week. That's my prediction. It it really seems like everything is funneling in that very direction. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I hope beyond hope that I'm absolutely wrong, that Barb is wrong, because she's been predicting oh, it all season long. I know. I love Barb, him, I'm never going to forgive you for but, this. But uh, gosh, when that, when that happened, I'm like, oh my goodness, this doesn't look good. Well, and because I... One of the reasons I didn't like the idea of Ben dying in the first place, other than the fact that I love his character, right, is that he is the only one that's really different of them all. You know, he's the one with spikes. He's the one with alien DNA being, yeah. you know, other than Lexi. But he's he's integrated himself back into the second mass and he has become the go-getter he's been the one who can sure. warn people of coming. Sure. He's been the he's been the conduit between the rebel skitters and the humans. 
But now that they have Spikes and Maggie, she can effectively take his place if he has to go. So we don't lose a spiked kid. Yeah, and it could go the opposite way. Maybe Hal is going to be be the one because of the the exact same scenarios that we just pointed at. Here's the other thing that I think that that points to a Mason death. You look at how much, we, we talked about it earlier, how decimated the second mass has been. Yeah. As as Matt approaches Tom, the scene we already talked about where he's trying to be tough, Tom tells him it's okay to show emotion. He finally breaks and you know, even his voice changes. He's like, No, I can't and he's mm-hmm. like, Oh, I love you, Dad. You know, his his voice changed, yeah. you know. And you look at that and it was nice. It was a great scene. But then as the camera pans around and you see the faces of Weaver and Pope and, and everyone there, it's it especially when they showed Weaver, I thought, My goodness. The man had one child, did everything he could, lost her, got her back, lost her again. Here we have the entire Mason clan, sans their mom. I mean, their mom's never been in the picture as far as our our story is concerned, right? It just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem... That's an interesting point. You know, and it just seems like they've got it coming. They can't continue to be the Masons that overcome everything. You know, maybe they will, but it just doesn't seem realistic even to a certain point. Right, because even at the beginning, when when Ben had been already taken by the Skitters, like we're introduced to the Masons with mm-hmm. one son missing. Right, that seemed like a tough enough burden to bear. But then they get him back, and they have to deal with him integrating back into the Second Mass, sure. and and it just from that point on, even though they were all always there, they were still all always there. Right. <laughs> so that's a they really had- good point. They have had their fair share of, of toils. We talked about it, I think, at the beginning of this season, maybe our our our, our um, season intro episode, where every Mason has had some alien DNA injected into them at some point. Yeah. But still, it just doesn't <laughs> seem realistic in in a lot of ways. I just, I it wouldn't surprise me if if we lose hmm. a Mason next week. If Ben or Maggie die, I might not be coming back next season. <laughs> I'll be here. Come on. <sighs> right. I will do JFK for you every there's week. That. <laughs> Is that a promise? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. You ready to talk about some Lexi? Did you already do Dustbin's? We got some feedback, don't we? Let's listen to what Dustbin had to say about the love triangle. Then there is Ben. Aw, lovely Ben and his love triangle. By far the best character on the show, in my opinion. Up until now, he has had the most character development, so he's obviously my favourite. I love this storyline for two reasons. One, because it brings conflict between the two brothers. The only person anyone seems to fall out with on the show is Pope, so it was good to see something a little different. I was a bit upset that they made up so quickly, but we'll see what happens. Anyway, the second part I like about the love triangle is the whole Maggie and the Spikes thing. Ben discovered in an earlier episode that when he felt sadness while thinking about his mum, that Maggie felt that too. She's feeling his emotions, so I don't think she's necessarily feeling something for Ben, but just feeling the strength of his emotion for her. Ben knows this because in the last episode, he asked her if she liked him before the Spikes, and she said no, she loved Hal. At some point, Ben is going to have to stay away from Maggie because what he wants, really, is for her to like him as herself and not because of the spikes. And until they are gone or disabled, he won't know for real if there's anything between them. Hmm. 
Or one of the Mason boys could die, and then you just don't have to worry about the triangle. Win by default. <laughs> That's how I win everything. I just can hold out the longest. That's right. Eventually, someone has to die. <laughs> but she's right. I, 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 thought, yeah. I thought her perspective was right on, actually. Yeah. No, I did, too. Yeah. Very well said. Yep. All right. And one more here. This is what Barb had to say about the Hal and Ben situation. As far as confessions go, we had the Ben, Maggie, Hal confessional miniseries. I'm sorry. I love you. I'm sorry. Repeat, repeat. Hal has been acting more like a brooding teenager than Matt. Yes, he may have lost his girl, but he has been growing into a leadership position this year, and the moping is a setback to what was tremendous character development. More moping. I see a trend here. Yeah. But she's right in terms of, of Hal being a leader, and these are qualities that you don't really want to see in a leader. But he's new at leadership, too. I don't expect him to have it all figured out like it seems some of the others do. But it's a good point, too. Yeah. Man, I my brain is so <laughs> full right now. I can't <laughs> properly respond. But, yeah, I mean, I'm... I just, I'm really enjoying the way people are phrasing these things today. I am too. I love all the different perspectives we're getting. Let's yes. talk about Lexi then. The, the, gosh, so much. We, she didn't get a whole oh. lot of screen time, but she, she got she got some great stuff this week. Starting with the opening of the episode, the, the, the teaser, you know, before the title sequence, the nightmare that she's having about Ben. This was great news. As soon as she woke up, I figured it was a dream from the beginning, but as soon as she... She, we we get it confirmed that she's really having nightmares about this. I thought, oh man, she's gonna swing. The pendulum is gonna swing, and it was it set up, it set me up for, for the whole episode. It was it was wonderful. Totally agree. <laughs> I I got so excited when she just sat up in bed and there was that look of terror on her face. Well, partly because she she sits up from her sleeping i shouldn't really call it a bed because it was really like a slab of concrete or something okay i didn't pay attention i mean just based on what what it looked like around her she looked like she was in that warehouse that ben had left her in before mm-hmm. you know okay, so yeah. yep. nothing homey or anything and you know scorch was saying she's more human than mm-hmm. she is Eshveni. and sometimes the parts of us the the human parts of us that make us become more human are are simply our physique i mean because we we have hunger because we can experience you know physical pain because we have emotion we are more likely to act like humans i mean it seems really obvious when you say it like that but when you're looking at lexi and the way she is one of the reasons that she may be exhibiting more human qualities than Ashveni is because they're not giving her the kind of uh, comfort that she needs, you know, both in a father-daughter mm-hmm. type of way, sure. but also it just in a basic meeting your human needs kind of way. Right. You know, maybe there's a roof over your head, but she's sleeping on a concrete slab. So <laughs> it's going to provoke those things, those human elements inside of her that mm. cause her to act more human. Yeah, I love that. I hadn't even thought of it in that way. Would you like Monk to have taken a a less Jedi approach? I mean, it was like he was it was literally totally like lifted out of, out of Star, Star Wars. Wars. You know, yeah. <laughs> Yoda talking to Luke and and Dagobah. I actually I had to look up the 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 person who was voicing Monk because 
it just seemed so familiar to me. Yeah. And it was, I think it was because he was speaking so much like a Jedi master. You yeah. Know, just the calm and clear, articulate voice. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the best mode to be or form of education to take here is. You know, it doesn't, it seems like something very human, something very philosophical. Like mm-hmm. this seemed like a very philosophical lesson. You know, there's, there's a certain element of learning how to theoretically control something and then actively putting it into practice. I mean, Dustbin, isn't it just like a Snape trying to teach Harry occlumency? I mean, it's like, you understand the theory, but what am I supposed to do? You're telling me to protect my mind from invading forces, but what am I literally supposed to do? And that's kind of how I felt like this scene was going on, except that Lexi has something innate in her. Like, uh, what did Monk keep telling her? Something about uh, using the light in your mind to do this? Is that what he said? Uh, do you remember that part? I don't remember the quote. I'm not, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, it just seemed like it was... Uh, there was something a little bit more tangible for her to hold on to in order to do these wonderful things. It's pretty remarkable that it's he basically confirmed that she'll have the ability to create a star if she yeah. rises to her full potential, which she's not there yet. But that's pretty remarkable. I mean, that's beyond anything that I would have thought she was capable of, even even when we thought she was going to be this great, powerful thing. So that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Well... We get a little bit of feedback from Justina on this. She says, Monk teaching Lexi gave her a flashback of Yoda (laughs) as well. Oh, yeah. So Lexi is learning to harness her powers and is getting stronger. However, when she exercises her power, it is taking a lot out of her and makes her weak for a period of time. This leads to my theory. What if Lexi takes on a force so big and so far away, like the power source on the moon, that she makes the ultimate sacrifice and dies for the human race, therefore ending the battle and being the instrument of peace she wants to be? On the other hand, I was also wondering if she could use Ben and Maggie connected by Spikes and herself to be able to use anyone with Spikes to become a trinity of power to overcome evil. I like both of those options. Seriously? Yeah. Those are great theories. I mean, and that was kind. That kind of is a callback to uh, what we had been talking about last season with uh, with Lexi potentially being the ability to bridge. Well, it's really not to bridge peace between the races anymore, but it's really to put them on equal ground at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, really good theories. I like that, Justina. Yeah. Well, I like that Lexi was able to join with Scorch and Monk. You know, she learned how to crush dirt and go into the mind meld lava land that they're hanging out in shadow plane. That's what she called it. The shadow plane. See, that's, that's better than lava land. I'll, I'll give them that. <laughs> she finally gets behind the veil. Real, literally quite, you know, I, I would say, and the truth, she sees the, these guys for who they truly are. And what an incredible moment where she finally sees the way that she's being manipulated. And uh, Scorch, you know, good strategist, I think, because he, he realizes how dangerous dangerous she is. And if she's not on their side, mm-hmm. then she's really a, 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 a too unpredictable to be really treated as an asset. Right. You You can't be certain of where her loyalties are. Yeah. When it right. comes down to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what is really cool about the dream she had at the beginning Mm -hmm. is because 
she's finally starting to see what family means. I mean, just the fact that she's dreaming about it says to me that she's thinking about it. She's thinking about Ben mm-hmm. coming after her and wanting her to come back and expressing that human love for her. And so she she didn't dream about her mother who was searching for her for four months. She didn't dream about her father who blah, blah, blah. She <laughs> she dreamt about the brother who came after her even when she had killed Lourdes right in front of him. Yeah. And, and I mean, she's not getting that kind of love that... You know, and that's and that's the what is it that Maggie said to Hal a couple weeks ago? You know, it's it's the thing that we need to hold on to. It makes us who we are, and it's probably the strongest part of us as humans is our ability to connect with people and to love people. Right. And right, yeah. So, yeah, good stuff. Well, Mark liked it too. Here's what he had to say. Now I fully understand where Scorch is coming from. If Lexi's loyalty is in the least bit in question and she has the power to make a star, I would definitely, if you weren't sure that she was 100% on your side, I would definitely want to eliminate her as well. And now that she is on the good guy's side, I pity any Esfeni that stands in her way. Although I do predict that she's going to sacrifice herself for the greater good by overextending her powers before she's ready to use them. And I think that'll happen next episode. So my prediction is that by the end of the season finale, Lexi will be dead by sacrificing herself, extending her powers beyond what she's currently capable of doing. There you go. Nice. He agrees with Justina then. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Man, I really like this theory. Yeah. And I don't know if, I, I mean, beyond beyond using her for that purpose, I don't really see a use for her in season five unless they're just going to try to, you know, make her human again. But Or use her as a weapon to eventually, because are they going to really eliminate the Ishvini next week? Maybe they will. But if they don't, if all they do is get down the power grid then and she's still alive, she could be used as, still as a weapon against them. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to go, I'm going to follow in Justina and Mark's predictions. I really like this theory. I I think that she is going to try to push herself beyond what she is capable of doing in in an effort to reconcile with the second mass. Because you have to Mm -hmm. imagine that it's going to be pretty split down the middle, if not completely lopsided against Lexi in, in the next two episodes. So you would think so. Yeah. I think kind of, that it's she kind of is been going. building to that all season anyway. Right. Yep. People yep. are have been pushed to the brink, uh, you know, making exceptions for her. So. Yeah. So she kills Monk. Great scene, right? Yeah. Wasn't that awesome? Squish Monk. Yeah. I was like, now, that's totally Vader right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Monk had said to Scorch that he has, quote, special means to control her. So is that gone or is that still a threat? Oh, you think you think spe- maybe it was his fatherly mm, connection with her or something? I don't know. I mean, if if it was something that he himself possessed within him, for example, or that it was a device that only he knows where it is, whatever it is, did it die with him, or and, and therefore the threat of her still being controlled is is gone, or or does that threat still exist? Hmm, that's interesting. Because he has been hesitant to follow his brother's wishes in the past, you know, his uh, Scorch has been more inclined to the violence, where Monk has taken a more philosophical approach. So maybe he did actually have a physical 
means to control her but hit it and that will be scorch's mission in the next episode is to find mm-hmm. whatever it is that can control lexi but you know we yeah. have not seen anything of that sort not that they've been showing us a whole lot of right what they have but uh i think I, that yeah. it died with him i okay. think that it was a line that would be it was important so that it would be a tipping point for her because this was the person that she trusted, the you know, the being that she trusted. So for him to deliver a line like that really revealed his true intentions to her. So I think it died with him. Okay. I like that it too. It was really like more for that purpose. Yeah. Okay. So final, final scene of the episode, they're about to get into the Beamer. Other Beamers start attacking. They start exploding out of midair. Little Red Riding Hood comes in and saves the day. How awesome was that? That was so cool. I loved just the red amidst all of the darkness. Yes, yeah. Very symbolic. Her, uh, We haven't really talked about her costuming this season, but it's been really cool. But whatever costume they've got her in now, I, I love it. I think it's really the the cloth patterns that they chose, the, the seam lines mm-hmm. that they have in it. It's Really well done. It's a really cool outfit. And she comes strolling in all calmly and red, the only color in that blanket of of grays and whites and blacks. It was cool. Yeah, very cool. And what did it remind you of? <laughs> Little Red <laughs> Riding Hood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You Who's sure gonna kill the big bad wolf. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we've got a couple of other listener comments here. This one comes in from Barb. This was one she, she, I think she actually called him, but I, I kind of just summarized it or summarized it. She said that she was surprised that the change in Lexi came before the finale. She thought that the change would come, but it would be next week. But she thinks that this sets up a nice cliffhanger for next week. So I concur yeah. with that. And then Lexi had, or uh, Dustbin had this to say about Lexi. Lastly, we have Lexi. She is one scary dude. I love how they introduced her in this season with the white blonde hair, instantly putting the audience against her. All the best villains have blonde hair, right? Draco Malfoy, Rugger Hauer, the guy from the Karate Kid, the whole Lannister clan, genius move. And if I was Tom, I really want, wouldn't want her calling me father. Let's look at what happened to the last one she did that to. <laughs> well, let's hope Tom doesn't get on her bad side then. Yeah. You won't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, what was your episode rating? I, uh, up until about the Epictetus comment, I was giving it a five. Okay. I was frustrated wow, and angry. Okay. And I was like, I don't get what anybody's doing. Then, when I rewatched, I gave it nine and a half lessons in stoicism. Hmm. I like it. What was it. yours? I like it. I gave it eight spiked kisses. Could have given it that rating last week as well. But, <laughs> but this week, even more yeah. so. Even more so. Yep. Well, Barb gave it eight exploding Eshveni, and may we have more soon. <laughs> and Mark gave it 7.5 extremely long golf shots or golf drives. Yes. To only golf on the moon. All right. Well, some some closing thoughts. We have one from Barb that I thought would be good to play is closing thoughts for next week. I expect a great cliffhanger for the season finale with the Asfini defeat not yet assured. But here's a question. When the Asfini are finally defeated, will the spikes continue to work or will some of our heroes suddenly revert back to pre-spike status? Time will tell. 
Yeah, and that's a possibility we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that if, if or when the Ashvini are destroyed, will Maggie be paralyzed again? Will Matt need his glasses, all that yeah. stuff? That is the question. Yeah, it's a good one to be reminded yeah. of, though. you have any other questions for next week? No questions. I'm just really anxious to see if Justina and Mark's theories come true, to be quite honest. <laughs> right, yeah. right. All right, well, let's move into Twitter. All right, so the Twitter poll question for this week was, what does Lexi's return to the second mass mean for the scheduled trip to the moon? Jim Wisconsin says, Mission is a go, but Lexi tags along. Second guessing her destiny puts mission at risk. Cliffhanger will be her choice. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Tangier 14 says, She will sacrifice herself for her family. Yes, M, another death prediction. <laughs> I think I'm already <laughs> on board with that one, though. Solo Talk Media says, It means another boom moment as she sacrifices herself on the moon to save mankind. She's too powerful to survive. I think we're all kind of in the same. Mm. Uh, same That's a possibility. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, at first I thought it meant that they wouldn't have to go at all, but I, after a couple of these uh, predictions, I'm kind of thinking it's just going to be revamped a little bit. I do too. Well, next week's title, we have two episodes next week, back to back. Space Oddity is the first hour. The second hour is called Shoot the Moon. So yep. I'm thinking they're still going to the moon. They're going <laughs> to shoot something at it. They're going to shoot the man on the moon. Yeah. Which, uh, Doug, when we interviewed him last week, he revealed that he was the, the moon in those old... Uh, Mc Do you remember those McDonald's commercials? Hmm. They're probably before your time. They're uh, Mac Tonight. Okay. Go to, they're on YouTube. But apparently oh, he's the piano player okay, I'll have guy. To look that up. I was wondering what he was talking moon about. Head. I, yeah. Well, we've got a lot to talk about next week. Uh, this podcast tonight went uh, well over an hour and a half. I'm sure next week's will be long as well since we're covering two episodes. But we're going to cover them for you, and we'd love to get your thoughts on those. You can uh, send us in your feedback by heading over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. You can also give us a call on the Golden Spiral Media voice feedback line. The number is 304-837-2278. And um, we'd love to hear from you. What do you think about the finale episode after it airs next week? Yeah, make sure you get it in by Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern time because we start to record at 8 p.m. on that day. And we'd love for you to join us in the live show. We've got a healthy crowd right now in the chat mm -hmm. room. And you can do that by going to goldenspiralmedia.com slash live. There's a just we record on a Google Hangout and you get to listen to us and chat with us. Sometimes we respond and other times we just ignore you. <laughs> depends on the day. <laughs> right. right. It depends on how engaged we are in the conversation. Sometimes. Right. <laughs> sometimes I just want to block you out and say, oh, chat room. <laughs> I mean, no, that never happens. <laughs> right. Only when you get <laughs> super nerdy. <laughs> right. It's like she's talking about Epic Tardis again. Let's see what's going on in the chat room. <laughs> Epic Tardis is, this is this, is this the Doctor Who podcast? Uh, that's a good segue. But first, I do want to say that if you want to chime in on next week's BC Twit question, follow us on Twitter at GSM Podcasts and be sure and use the hashtag BC Twit. Or you can follow us on Facebook. We don't, that's not where the Twitter poll question is, obviously, but we invite you to follow us over there at facebook.com slash golden spiral media. We also invite you, now check this out. This is announcement time. This is exciting announcement exciting? time. Okay, I'm ready. In case, in case you missed it, we announced nine podcasts 
this week, this over the weekend. Nine? Now, a couple of, nine, a couple of them had already been announced, like yours, the Flash podcast had already been announced, and the Arrow podcast had already been announced, but they're fall shows, so I felt like it was, it was good to go ahead and include them in this announcement. Here are the nine shows. We have Don't Blink, which is our Doctor Who podcast. It's available right now, goldenspiralmedia.com slash Doctor Who. The Blacklist Exposed, that's a new show we'll be doing this fall. Gotham, we'll be doing a podcast. The, the title, we haven't decided on that. We've got a couple of, of ideas we're narrowing it down to. Okay. Just, that we'll, we will be doing a Gotham podcast. A Person of Interest podcast, I'll be doing that with my friend Doug. We did that for TV Talk for a season and a half. Are you calling it the Person of Interest podcast? We are. Hey, I love simple names. I don't want there to be any question what we're talking about. I love creative names too, but I'm not a creative name guy. Uh, the Sandbox, there's a creative name for you, uh, an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Our, our friends Mike and Dave are going to be doing that one. We have Beyond Storybrook, which is a Once Upon a Time podcast. We have gotten so many requests to have a GSM podcast about Once Upon a Time, so That's gonna there be you fun. go. Addie and Trina are doing that. They're going to do a fantastic job. I didn't mention Troy and Aaron are the ones doing Blacklist. Clint and I are going to be doing Grace Point. I mentioned that already during the top of the show. Central City Underground, you mentioned that one. You'll be doing that with The Shadow. The Shadow will also be doing Arrow Squad with the Podcast, podcast Overlord. Overlord. <laughs> yeah. A.K.A. Kevin Batchelder of That's Tuning Into right. Sci-Fi TV. And I'm going to make the announcement here for the first time. I just got confirmation from the second host right before we hit the record button. We will be doing a Sleepy Hollow podcast. Nice. Yep. So that'll be. Is that one going to be called the Sleepy Hollow podcast? I don't know. I don't have any more details yet, but uh, it'll it'll be coming soon. So it'll be excellent. We'll have more information on that shortly. A lot of things coming down the pipe. So very exciting. That's right. And we still may have more after that. Dang, I am not going to have time for anything. It is a really good thing that my my uh, you know weekly book reading thing is <laughs> ending here because yeah. I need to listen <laughs> to podcasts now. <laughs> I know. At Golden Spiral Media, the all-inclusive feed is going to be just smack full. You can find out info on all of these podcasts by heading over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash podcast. Keep in mind that most of these have not launched yet, so RSS feeds don't exist yet, but they will exist, and we'll, we'll keep you updated as all of these launch right now doctor who flash which is central city underground well doctor who is don't blink flash is central city underground and arrow is arrow squad those are the ones that have active rss feeds and they are all in itunes anything else on your mind that is all i've got i ain't got no more ain't got no more my brain is empty that's for sure all right (laughs) well until next time remember that it's always easy to get carried off by aliens and resistance is never ever futile